Hello, everyone, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. Recently, Haley had a great episode on another podcast, 2-O-Wino, talking about her business, 3100 Sellers, or sometimes just 3100. <laughs> um, she talked about their whole process and you know just her business in general. So if you've been interested in learning more about her and that um, and her business, then go and check that out. Again, it's 2-O-Wino podcast. I think we'll share kind of a link when that episode comes out if it hasn't already. So today we're going to talk about a smaller slice of her business, but a really important part of the sparkling, bubbly winemaking process. And we're going to be talking about riddling wine. That is a mouthful. (laughs) So (laughs) with that, what is riddling? I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Well, it's, it's, it's different than a riddle. Like if a wine bottle explodes, but no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? I don't know if that's really a riddle, but that's the only thing I could think of to <laughs> make a riddle about wine. Yes, riddling is a process in sparkling winemaking where you slowly turn a bottle upside down to get all the yeast to fall into the cap. So it's after it's gone through... Uh, It's been bottled, it's going through secondary fermentation or finished with secondary fermentation, and you're trying to get ready to get that yeast out of the bottle. So it's that that process of turning the bottle upside down is riddling. And ultimately making the tasty, sweet part. (laughs) Yes, that's Ukiah. I'm going to bring that in (laughs) every time. (laughs) Ukiah helps us um, disgorge, which is what you do after you riddle, to get the yeasty parts out. And he always... Uh, talks about how it's like a super what shoot what does he call it? It's a it's like a sweet tart, but it's like a boozy, yeah, sweet tart, and it's all the you know all the yeasty bits that have been frozen into a plug to get out of the bottle, and it, but it tastes a lot like the sparkling wine that it's been sitting in. <laughs> I was thinking that would be a great time because Ukiah is our sound person, for those of you that don't know, for him to just like randomly interject yes. himself saying what it was. <laughs> yes. Um, so sorry, that was a distraction. I think we ha- we talked about disgorging and we talked about that yes. um, a lot in that process too. I think so. now that we have a slightly new, different format, we might go back to that kind of stuff and do like just a shorter, more in-depth yeah, you know, we're talking about just riddling today, and maybe we'll talk about just disgorging one day, something like yeah. that. But yeah, for sure. So my question is, and it mainly came out when I just wanted to Google and get a little backstory on it or search for it on the internet, um, and I noticed, or I was like, why is it called riddling? Yes, like, what is the and you know, like what what's the background of that word or yeah. Well, I, it's not what they call it in French. <laughs> oh. Um, I'm pretty sure in French it's, uh, somebody's going to be mad because I, I don't really know, but I'm pretty sure it's called rumage. Oh, okay. So, I've heard that word before. Yeah. So I'm not sure when we created a new English word for it and why riddling was the name, but now it kind of cascades into other things. So it's, 
not just the process of riddling, there's also mm-hmm. the master riddler. So the person who's actually okay. turning the bottles, if you're doing it by what hand. What a great name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I knew that was kind of a curveball of a question, but it's just such a weird, I think, word, I guess, yeah. for the winemaking process. So It is. Yeah. It's a different one. Okay. So why why do people riddle? Why do Why would you want to, you know, turn your wines like that? When you're making sparkling wine in the traditional method, so like they do in Champagne, they were making wine and then bottling it. Initially, they were making wine, bottling it, and then it was re-fermenting in bottle at some point. Mm -hmm. And they decided along the way, at first they were like, that's bad wine. We don't want that. We don't want bubbles in our wine. But then eventually they decided to embrace it and perfect it. So in Mm -hmm. that perfection process, they realized that and this is like the collective day. It's uh, yeah. some people are attributed as being very specific proponents of different aspects, but uh, as a region, they realized if they could get their wine to be more clear, they could get a better market value because the people that were drinking it were drinking clear wines from other regions, and that's they really associated good quality with the clear wines. A lot of just kind of an aside, so, uh, if you have, just because a wine is cloudy doesn't mm-hmm. mean it has spoilage organisms, but sometimes spoilage organisms can cause cloudiness in wine. I think that that's where the clarity became important at some point along the way for wines. And okay. being able to get a sparkling wine that's re-fermented in bottle and the yeast have started to thrive in that bottled environment, how do you, how do you get the yeast out? Mm-hmm. that's where riddling came in. Being able to get all the yeast to drop into the cap, open that bottle that's under pressure, get that cloudy part out or most of it, and then mm-hmm. recap it. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask this question later, but I think this is a perfect time to bring it up. So I'm just going to jump to one of my last questions, yeah. which is um, recently I shared a picture with you because we had talked about leaving white wine in your fridge for too long and the little crystals that might form Mm -hmm. on it. And I sent you a picture and I said, oh, I think I did it. But then you kind of pointed out that it was more looking like kind of sediment, you know, stuff. (laughs) And so, and then you started asking me some questions and I was like, yeah, it is a little bit cloudier so that wine, I think, had a little bit of effervescence to it. or mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. But do people, kind of getting at your point earlier of like, the reason that they did it is to make it clearer, not make it cloudy. Right. But do people ever riddle wines that aren't sparkling? Or conversely, with my wine, was there something that maybe was making it a little bit more sparkly. Right. I think when when we talked about the wine that you had had, it wasn't, it wasn't, what's the word, marketed as a sparkling wine. So when we talked a little bit more about it, the haziness in the bottle Mm -hmm. and the fact that there weren't crystals, like you were saying, tartrate crystals, I don't think it was in the fridge for too long. Okay. I think it was a bottle of wine that probably wasn't sterile filtered or um, had a, an, and it had a slight, there probably was a little bit of sugar in it. And then once it mm-hmm. was bottled and sold, 
it warmed up a little bit and the yeast that happened to still be in that wine started to re-ferment and get active again. And that's why you got the haziness. Okay. That's And that's that's an assumption. You know, we didn't reach out to the winemaker. Maybe they, they don't like to rack their wine or something. And that just mm. a little bit of sediment in the bottle is just part of what they do. And that's, that's, that can be normal too. Just to clarify, it was a delicious bottle of wine. Right. I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> but this is not any judgment on the, right. the bottle and of that's wine. Really, it was amazing. And so that's a good thing to point out because we, like we've said in other episodes, just because a wine has tartrates in it, like you've had it mm -hmm. in the fridge too long or your cellar got too cold and something the tartrates precipitated out of the wine doesn't mean it's the wine is now bad. Yeah. Just because wine is hazy doesn't mean the wine is bad. Like you should yeah. you should taste the wine. Don't just because something doesn't look right yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Getting to the question of riddling non-sparkling wines. The I think it's possible but very impractical. So mm. sparkling wines, the bottles are under pressure. So yeah. you turn those bottles upside down and um you can freeze a plug. We freeze a plug because we find it makes it a little bit more consistent in our process. But there are plenty of people that don't freeze plugs. They open them uh, a la volée, which is without freezing a plug. And um, some people open them underwater, different different ways to do it. Ooh. Yeah. And then they get the solid stuff out and then they re-cork re or cap their bottle. But if you don't have mm -hmm. that pressure pushing that plug out or pushing that stuff out, then... It's probably going to just fall back into the wine, if even if you've spent time trying to get it into the cap. One way that I would say you can riddle or get uh, still wine that has a haze in the bottle, uh, or I shouldn't say haze, sediment in the bottle, uh, to to more clear again would be mm -hmm. to dump that wine and then either rack it or filter it. Yeah. Okay. And I've so seen, that's kind of the the still wine version of right, not riddling, but getting you know clearing up the wine in that same yes. end product of riddling. Yes, exactly. Um, that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> sense in my brain. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hopefully, you followed that. <laughs> um, back to what we were talking about riddling. Why you do it? Are there different methods for riddling? We you kind of talked about just spinning, but yeah. you know, are there the different methods? Master riddlers doing it by hand. We touched on that, so that's the mm -hmm. the the way. Like you see all the beautiful pictures of champagne or different sparkling wine houses, and they have these cool. They're called pupitres, which I think mm -hmm. means desk in French. So there are these little A frames that have yeah. holes drilled in them, and you you put the bottles in there, and they start out kind of almost horizontal, and then you slowly tilt them so that they're more vertical. Or if you're for Ferrari, which is a vineyard, or not a vineyard, right, a, a winery in Italy that I went to, you have a cave and it's not really an A-frame. It's just your whole wall oh, is yeah. full of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's that method, which is by hand and using mm -hmm. the poopy trays. Uh, you can okay. also do kind of a... If you're like a home winemaker and you're making sparkling wine or something, you can do the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the home method or the, you know, it doesn't have to be as perfect. And you can just shake your bottles up and turn them upside down <laughs> in the box. Just and, oh. and most of the sediment will, you know, fall into the cap. 
But isn't there something to the slow yes. turning process? The shaking that, up that and turning lose? upside down will get most of it, but there will still be stuff stuck to the sides of the bottle. But when you're doing okay. it and you're turning them a quarter of a turn each time or an eighth of a turn, you're getting all of that sediment, hopefully, to fall into the cap. Okay. And there's also completely different way to do it, which is a gyro pallet. Shaking cages. <laughs> yes. Um, so they actually... Maybe not shaking. Right. But it sounds like they cages. should be shaking, but they're more just moving. So you stack everything so they're all pointing the same way. They start out horizontal, and then this mm-hmm. giant cage, it kind of looks like if you took uh, a, the size of a pallet and you made it mm-hmm. into a cube, it's about that size. So there's that many bottles of wine. There's probably about 500 bottles of wine in there. And it's just slowly like twists and turns and tilts and... It only takes a couple days. In all days. different directions, correct? Um, I think it. Uh, that's a good question. I because or is I, it like a sun? Just it's, I thought it. Kinda, it's not like a sun. It does tilt up that way. Like it goes on. It's three dimensional though. So there's there's the two dimension, like just tilting from horizontal to vertical. But while it does that, it also twists. Okay. If I remember yeah. correctly, I've only worked with one gyro palette. <laughs> While Haley was describing it, I was just doing all these weird hand, hand motions. motions. Right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> moving all around. And the last way that is common in sparkling wine is to have um, special equipment. And you actually okay. open your bottles under pressure and basically dump them out and then um, filter all of that wine. And if the whole system is under pressure. Oh. And then um, you rebottle it into clean bottles. And the under pressure just is so you don't lose the bubbles. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, what is your preferred method? We do in um, in the poopy trays. Um, so we do okay. it by hand. Uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I always like the idea of doing it by hand, but mm-hmm. having only been making our wine for what did we talk about? Like six or seven vintages. I guess yeah. it's more now, seven or eight vintages. <laughs> um, we So when you get ready to load the riddling rack, we actually bang our bottles on like a mat and okay. to really shake them up and try to like knock anything that's stuck to the sides off mm-hmm. and shake them up as well. So not just hitting them, but also shaking them. And Doing that for a couple of years to load the really, like I already, my hands, every time I do it, I need a day and a half or more to recover from oh. like my joints are just so tired. <laughs> and You're getting swollen, old. <laughs> right? I, it's hard sometimes to talk about using technology in a handmade product, but if it means, mm-hmm. you know, if we were to get a gyro palette and it would mean that we could spend that much more time working with the wine rather than working with the riddling, maybe yeah. it'd be a good trade-off. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, but that's also a big investment too. Oh, so yeah. There's, so, yes. <laughs> you know, like you said, maybe by putting that investment, then you can work on other aspects of the wine. Mm-hmm. I just think of, sorry, I got distracted in my head by thinking I went and did a tour of a dairy, a very small dairy. Yeah. Like, family-run dairy, and they invested in getting an automatic, like, LiDAR laser pump for milking their cows. And they talked about, I know this seems like a detour, but 
to bring it back, they uh-huh. just talked about again how that freed up their because it was their family. Like yeah. their family goes and does everything, and they have a couple workers. But they said, based on by getting that, they were able to now invest in other parts and focus on other parts of their farm. That's and so like, cool. Invest in their soil health and invest in some other areas. So yeah, anyway, so yeah, I think that there's you just gotta if if that's something I think that you're looking at you Haley or our listeners then just something you need to uh, um, you know look at your return on investment and make sure that that pencils out. Yes, and if you're not a winemaker and you're listening because you just think this is interesting, which welcome, we love it. <laughs> that's me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, make sure you check out what a gyro palette is because they look so cool. Yeah, (laughs) they are cool. And I think that we're in a weird, maybe not weird. um, We've been heading towards this for a long time in any like craft made product, um, Mm -hmm. especially if it has to do with food or wine or, you know, craft beverage that uh, labor is expensive. Mm -hmm. But most small business owners know that their labor is their their most important resource. So they don't want to skimp on Correct. what they pay their labor. They want they want to keep good labor. They want to pay a living wage or better. Um, yeah. And so sometimes being able to um, automate certain parts of their process, yeah, is actually better for their community and being able to reinvest certain things into their workforce and their um, the people that help them make their craft product. For sure. Sometimes like, it seems like, like my, a sellout, but actually, if you really think about it, it's usually it's a hard no. thought process, um, and that has to do with the the good of their community or not community, but their team yeah. in mind. For sure, like the the cow yeah. milking example. They <laughs> one of the daughters or the kids. They're like they were in high school, and they were like, "Yeah, it's great. We don't have to come out and milk the cows <laughs> so early in the morning." <laughs> so, oh. um, but or you know they could they. Like you said, reinvest, get different labors, um, yeah. you know, be able to invest in getting some more skilled laborers and certain like techniques yeah. and pay them more um, because, you know, they were able to increase their production and everything else. And um, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> That's really cool. So I think my last question to wrap it up before, you know, just kind of leaving it open for anything else you wanted to say is this is a really cool process of like, hey, we turn it <laughs> and then it clears our wine. But like, how did people figure that out? Like, especially the right. dumping under pressure one, yeah. like just all the methods. How did people figure that out? There's a very clear, well, it, it, it probably depends on who you talk to in the Champagne region, because yeah. most of this seems to come from the Champagne region. But the person it's attributed to is the uh, Veuve Clicquot, which there's still a label, Veuve Clicquot. She -hmm. was a widow and she asked her father-in-law if she could take over the winery because it was just kind of languishing. Oh, those women always be (laughs) innovators. So when she did that, she she decided we need to revamp this brand. Uh, She was a really great branch. So the orange color that you still think of when you think of Veuve Clicquot was, that was the color she chose. And then she also had a really great cellar master who was doing all of the winemaking and she helped him innovate. So supposedly she had this beautiful kitchen table that was like this burly kitchen table and 
they were talking about if we could if we could figure out a way to like tip these bottles, maybe we could, but we would have to do it kind of slowly. I don't know. She and her cellar master drilled holes in her kitchen table and then set it on its side and and experimented with, okay, so now if we can like get them to do this and this, and so the stuff's going to fall, the, all of the sediment's going to fall into the cap. Uh, or at that time, it was probably still cork. They were doing cork. Mm-hmm. It's attributed to Vuve Clicquot and her cellar master. There's a really great book that's about uh, her, just everything to do with her generation and, and her history. So I'll definitely make sure to put that in the show notes. Do you remember what the book is called? I think it's called The Widow Clicquot. But oh, cool. I'll, I'll make sure. I'll go grab it off my shelf and make sure I get the right title in there. I know it was kind of a speedy episode, but uh, do we have? Do you have any other points you want to make or or fun facts like that one? <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun um, fact about riddling specifically. I yeah. don't know. Most of the riddling racks are made out of French oak, which is you know the the oak mm-hmm. that you think of for French oak barrels. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Do they reuse old barrels sometimes to make the riddling rack? I don't think so. No. I would guess. Um, so the way that French oak, this is kind of a nice fun fact to know if you're into wine. The way that French oak grows, mm-hmm. the, the, all of the staves that you need to be watertight or all of the pieces of oak that you need to be watertight, so that's anything that's going to be make a barrel, have to be from the trunk. And as soon, mm-hmm. as, the, as, soon as the tree starts branching... Mm-hmm. Even if you have a really tall tree that has more heartwood that's above that or more um, trunk wood that's above the first branches, yeah, that's not ideal wood to use because it starts to leak. Oh. So I think what they do is they take a lot of the other wood that is from big branches or that, mm-hmm. that upper part of the trunk where it started to branch and use that yeah. uh, because you don't need riddling racks to be watertight. <laughs> you just need them yeah. to be strong, <laughs> holding okay. lots of bottles. I hope that they're taller trees, you know, before they branch out uh, so that... Oh, yeah. They, and it's actually pretty amazing. The, the way that they... We could probably do an episode on the way that French oak is harvested and used oh, because yeah. there's a lot that they do. They're not allowed to cut down just anything. It's all grown wild in the forest. And nowadays, they use everything. Like even down to the sawdust, they keep it they keep it all intact so that it can be used in different parts of winemaking processes. Okay, yeah, we're going to definitely talk about that in the future. Let <laughs> us know if you have any questions on that that subject matter. Yes. So, with that, Haley, you want to wrap it up? I do. Thanks, everybody, for coming and talking to us about riddling or listening to us talk about riddling, <laughs> coming along on this riddling journey. hope that it helps you uh, fit one more piece of that winemaking puzzle into place. <laughs> And if you have topics you want to hear about or listen to us research or, you know, talk about, please write them in. You can always find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. We'll look forward to doing another listener mail episode soon. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Vogel. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.